Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. Hello, this is Football Social Daily, a brand new Premier League podcast every single day of the week. I don't care if Monday's blue, Tuesday's grey, Wednesday too, Thursday, I don't care about you, but it's Friday today. I'm in love with the Premier League. Oh, <laughs> you're liking that, Steve. <laughs> My bromance today is with Steve McNaughton. He's over there. How you doing, Steve? Hi, Jim. Love the intro. Thanks, mate. And uh, Niall McCorn as well. You're right, Niall. I'm very good, mate. Impressive. Good start to the show. Thanks. Friday, it's buzzing. So, Southampton and Chelsea, they're into the semis of the FA Cup after their victories last night over Wolves and Barnsley, respectively. We'll take a look at those results and ask if any of the fringe players involved for all the Premier League teams might have earned themselves a place in the first team lineups. We'll get onto that shortly. We're also going to be discussing the futures of two much talked about Premier League faces Jose Mourinho and Paul Pogba both never shy of controversy and both never short of a newspaper headline or two and both being linked with moves away from their current clubs in the papers today and finally don't play that wild card yet a tempting weekend of fancy football fixtures awaits but before you drop four points on a transfer you're going to need to hear from Matt Dyson of Game Week Podcast it's been a while, but he's back with his fantasy Premier League advice in around 30 minutes or so. But first, let's start with the FA Cup and let's start with Wolves nil, Southampton 2. It's been a struggle for Southampton recently, Steve. But last night, is that a sign that the tide is turning or is it just another case of Wolves being hopelessly off the pace this season? I think it's a bit of both, isn't it? I think Southampton, uh, Southampton are one of them teams where when they do hit a bit of a trough, it, it's quite a deep one, isn't it? It's cavernous and it results in um, you know score lines like the Man United game and stuff like that. But there's a good team there at Southampton, you know, it's it's very much still in development. And Wolves, I mean, I don't know what we can say about Wolves. You know, we've raved about them on this podcast for the last couple of years, haven't we? And um, you know, they find themselves 14th in the league and out of, out of the FA Cup. Um, but they were changed a lot last night. They made some changes, Wolves. And I just think Southampton is you know, going about the business. Um, they'll kind of fancy the chances 
of having a decent run. And um, on the day, you know, they can play against anyone. But, you know, I would say pretty routine win that last night under the circumstances. It wasn't too challenging for Southampton. And I think the things that will reassure Saints fans is a few key players coming back. They have had real struggles with injuries recently, but we saw uh, Carl Walker, Walker-Peters back amongst others last night and Danny Ings as well. He's been needing a goal recently. His rich form kind of came to an end and he's coming close in recent weeks, but it's just not been happening. Either he's been hitting the post or he's been found foul of VAR or something like that. But last night he got the goal that could be what he needs. Couldn't it now that could kind of reignite his scoring form again. I hope not. Um, to be honest, with the Euros <laughs> around the corner, I think it's a really interesting time that he's kind of hit a, a, a lack of form, let's just say, because Dominic Calvert-Lewin's continued to score, Patrick Bamford has continued to score, and those two now look like they're at the forefront of uh, many England fans thinking when it comes to choosing strikers for the Euros. Obviously, Jamie Vardy, there's question marks over whether he might kind of... I don't think he ever did officially retire from England. Maybe I'm wrong, but certainly he's not been involved in recent oh, years. I think he did. Is it was something to do with Wayne Rooney being involved, wasn't it? We won't go into that. I think there's a whole uh, a wag backstory to do with that, which we won't go into. Um, but of course, there's Harry Kane, who will be the first pick in terms of strikers for the Euros for England. If he's fit, let's just hope he is. He is the England captain after all. He is the best English striker out there. I don't think there's any arguments there. And if you are kind of excluding Vardy from the conversation, let's just presume he stays retired, then you are looking at one of Ings, Bamford or Calvert-Lewin. And I think those three, in terms of who's been the best at any one point this season, it's kind of rotated. At the start of the season, it was absolutely Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Then he dipped a little bit and then... Danny Ings just went on an amazing run and Southampton uh, also um, ended up going on a really great run and I think they were top of the league at one point. Well, yeah, they were because they started selling T-shirts with it on. Um, and for then, about seven minutes. <laughs> yeah, for about 15 minutes on a Friday night, <laughs> having played a game more than everyone else. But there we go. You know, some clubs are different to others, aren't they? Let's be honest. Stick the knife in, stick the oh, knife in. I'm going to, I'm going to while I can. Um, but to be honest... I think that it's an interesting time that Danny Ings has gone off the boil. I think it's nine Premier League games without a win for Southampton. They've got Wolves again this weekend in the top flight, which I think will be a slightly different game to what we've seen in the Cup. I think Cup games tend to be slightly more open. But especially with, with the Euros coming up, as I say, I think that if Danny Ings does want to get himself on that plane, I think he will be regardless, even if he didn't score another goal between now and the end of the season, because I think Southgate likes him. But with Callum Wilson now out for a while with a hamstring injury for Newcastle, he's kind of dropped out of the running. Patrick Bamford's never really been involved in an England squad, and I think that will be a risk to take him. Calvert-Lewin's been involved in a couple, so I think it will be Ings, Calvert-Lewin and um, Harry Kane. But it'll only benefit England and it'll only benefit his chances of selection uh, if he does start finding the net again for Southampton so I think rather more than for his club's sake because I think they're not going to go down and I don't think they're anywhere near getting close to the European spots now Southampton I think they're going to finish bang in the middle of the table probably where they deserve with the season they've had and I think that Danny Ings now needs to think from a personal perspective um, about this uh, about this potential trip to the Euros so certainly I think from a from a personal perspective he'll be wanting to find the net on a more regular basis between now and the end of the season just to keep those England hopes alive. What did you make of his goal, though, Niall? Because sometimes you need a bit of fortune. When you're not scoring, you need luck to go your way. And he certainly got that, not only with the VAR call, because he was originally deemed to be offside, and then VAR overturned that and said he wasn't, but also the bounce off Ruddy, which kind of... I can't remember exactly what happened now. I think he hit it into Ruddy, then it came back, then it hit him, and then went in. So there was was a lot of fortune involved in it. 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of the time, strikers kind of, if you get in the right position, you'll get a few of those goals in a season. Um, you think of players over the years that do tend to get those kind of scrappy goals and fortunate goals. Um, if you're in the right position more often than not and you create the chances more often than not, you are going to get a couple of those in a season. Likewise, you're going to get a couple of those where you're sort of the goal is gaping and you hit the post or something. You know, it kind of happens. It's one of those things. But, you know, it's it's an old cliche that if if you make, you know, if you get in the right position enough times, eventually the ball will drop for you and a bit of luck will come for you now. Southampton will say that they've not had much luck recently. Stuff like at the 9-0 at Man United at Old Trafford when they got a man wrongly sent off and then they had a goal wrongly disallowed. You know, OK, lads, you would have finished with 10 men and it would have finished 8-1, but that's fine. Don't worry about it. So <laughs> to be honest, you know, it, it, it's one of those where eventually you will get a few moments like that. And yeah, sometimes strikers do need that little slice of luck and they do need that little bit of fortune. And, you know, you take it as a striker. Um, we sort of jokingly discussed on the podcast a couple of days ago about David Nugent's goal for England, the only goal he scored for England, where mm. he basically nicked it from a yard out. You know, that's still David Nugent's goal. Um, and when you look back across the history books and you and you see that game written down in print, you see, you know, whatever the scoreline was and David Nugent scored, you know, nothing's dictating whether that was tapped in from half a yard or whether it was smashed in from 50 from the halfway line. So, you know, goals are goals. And a lot of, you know, football players now are judged purely on statistics and purely on numbers and you know you can make a case for any player to be a good player if you put a sheet of stats in front of them and say this player has done this this season you know nothing says that for instance pretty much all of Dominic Calvert-Lewin's goals have been one touch this season but it doesn't mean he's not a good player because he's scoring the goals and you have to be there to do it so yeah I, I suppose a bit of good fortune like you say with the VAR and then you know I think John Ruddy's uh, not had much game time, has he, in the last few years since he left Norwich and became sort of a second choice at Wolves. So, you know, listen, it's one of those things. It's a cup game and and we'll see, I guess, this weekend when they play Wolves again in the Premier League, whether um, whether something similar happens in, in squads again. One player that I'm sure would take that fortune with both hands at the moment is Fabio Silva, who missed a guilt-edge opportunity in the second half. Should have been a tap-in, and you could really see the frustration from the other Wolves players when he missed that chance, which is never a good sign. Won't be the first simple-ish chance he's missed in the Premier League. He's a young player. We know young players are going to suffer with confidence sometimes, Steve, but is there... I mean, he's, he's still Wolves' record signing, which puts a lot of pressure on. Is there still a player in there do you think that they can get a decent tune out of Fabio Silva? Is it too early to judge or has he now had his opportunity? He must have had a run of, a, I don't know, eight, nine games now. I don't know, Jim. It's the honest answer. I think that, you know, I think the fee was somewhat like 35 million quid for him, wasn't it? You know, to bring him into the club as an 18-year-old. I think he come from sport in Lisbon or something, didn't he? And um, mm. I just think that... This league is the toughest league in the world and it chews people up, it spits people out and I think bigger players than him have not been able to deliver in the, the Premier League because of the nature of it and the, the demand and the schedule and the fact that you know, you're going up against you know world-class defenders probably every few weeks and stuff like that. And I think that if you look at what other teams do with 18-year-olds, they're out on loan somewhere. You know they 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 kind of playing championship games or or you know on a rare occasion it might be at another Premier League club, um. But I just think it's probably too early for him to be asked to lead the line at Wolves in in games 
because you know when his players are putting him in positions and and he is fluffing his lines because I think the lad's going to be a bag of nervous energy as well. He's he I think the expectation and price tag is weighing down on him, and I just think there probably is a player in there somewhere. Someone has seen something in him that has warranted someone paying thirty five million quid for him, and with the network of scouts that are available, mm. the analysis that's available. Normally get this stuff right as well, don't they? In terms of the players yeah, they they do. bring in, they're not stupid. They do. Yeah. But was this not just a sign-in for the future, like Steve says? Because if you look at his record, 12 um, Liga NOS games for Porto, which is where he came from, one goal. And he scored two Premier League goals for Wolves in 17 appearances. Well, so no actually, ex- he's probably batting above his expectations. But you've, you've got to think, he's a young kid, he's 18, you know, he, he's coming to Wolves, to the Premier League. I mean, he's been thrown into out of the frying pan mm. into the fire, and it's not his fault that he's worth 35 million euros. No, I mean, no one expected Raul Jimenez to get injured and him to be suddenly leading the line, but it's the options Wolves had. I mean, the the FA Cup and the team last night, both teams were changed. It is the FA Cup, but again, it's the same old problems for Wolves we've seen so far this season. Creation of chances and scoring chances is a real issue, both in the Cup and the Premier League. I mean, I worry about them slightly now. We've kind of been expecting them to click into gear this year at some point, but it's just not happening. Are they too far ahead of the relegation battle to get dragged into that? Because if you're not scoring goals, it can be a real problem. They're not conceding either, I guess, which is kind of the benefit. I don't think Wolves will go down. I really don't. I mean, they have looked concerning in recent games, but I just think that they've managed to to drag results out of nowhere. I think they beat Chelsea by a late goal earlier on this season. Um, And, you know, they kind of do sometimes get those results where they do turn up and and put a shift in and put a performance in. I think the reasons that Wolves have gone off the boil, obviously, as you say, Raul Jimenez's skull injury has been a massive, massive blow to them. Um, And Nuno Espirito Santo says that he hopes that he'll be back again before the end of the season. I personally can't see it. Um, If it it is, it'll be with a... um, uh, what are they called? A skull cap on, and he'll play probably for five minutes at the end of a game towards the end of the season. But I can't see him playing. But I think the key for Wolves, which has really damaged them this season, is their wing backs. Now you have to remember that Johnny Otto, who played wing back for the most of last season, he's been injured, and uh, Matt Doherty joined Tottenham, and those two wing backs have been absolutely critical in the way that Wolves have played in recent seasons, the last two seasons where they finished seventh twice in a row. Now, with Johnny being injured and Doherty leaving, the two that they've replaced them with, um, Marcel and I think Semedo as well, can play in that position who's come in. They've they've not been as good. It's as simple as that. They've not been as good. And, you know, uh, Jimenez gets injured with the the fractured skull and they've lost both of their wing-backs and their striker in the space of a couple of months. And all of a sudden, their three main points of attack, um, excluding Adama, who's been a little bit blunt this season as well, and he'd gone off the boil. So I guess you could say their four main points of attack have all disappeared. And that's why they're not scoring goals. They rely on Jimenez to score their goals and they rely on those balls into the box from their wing-back positions. And it's just not been there. Um, They've got a young player in Nuri who's come in and tried to do a similar job and he's actually done pretty well but Johnny and Matt Doherty knew those positions they had them nailed they knew exactly what was going on and I think that Wolves have really struggled to adapt to the to the to the holes that have kind of appeared in their squad through no fault of their own obviously they sold Diogo Jota because I think they were happy with the reinforcements that they had obviously now Jimenez got injured they don't have Jota to back up um, uh, Jimenez uh, 
Patrick Catrone went out on loan. Um, there was another striker they had, the young Italian lad, who, who also, I think, left the club after only a season. And so who they had in backup was Pedro Neto, who's only 20, by the way. And I think he's a really good player at just 20. Oh, it's mega. And, mega. Fab- and Fabio Silva, who's only 18. And, you know, that's a lot of pressure to put on two young lads to lead the line in the absence of Jimenez. So I think that's probably my assessment of Wolves and how they've struggled this season because... You know, defensively, we've said they've been pretty sound with Cody at the back and, um, you know, Willie Bolly sometimes plays in there, but he's had an injury as well. So I think Wolves have had their their reasons as to why they've not been as good this season. And, you know, I think it's fair enough that we afford them a bit of a blip. And I know because they set such high standards for themselves of two back-to-back seventh place finishes, you know, people are saying, oh, Wolves are doing rubbish this season. But yeah, come on, they they only got promoted two seasons ago. Let's cut them a bit of slack, let's just say. I think that they'll bounce back next season. Whether they'll reach the lofty heights of seventh again, I'm not so sure. But they do have some adjustments to make. Nuno Espirito Santo, I think, is a good manager. I don't see any danger of relegation for Wolves this season, Jim. Finally, on this game, Ralph Halsenhutl saying after the game, Steve, really interesting quote from him. He said, We said when we were more comfortable in the league, we can focus on the cup, which suggests that his focus now, given where Southampton are in the league and they're probably safe from relegation, as Nar says, mid-table looks almost a certainty for them. They're going to actually focus on the cup. You don't hear managers saying that very often, that they're actually going to go for it in the FA Cup. And I think Southampton fans will like that, won't they? The idea that they are going actively after silverware, because too many clubs put things like the FA Cup and the League Cup as their second priority after maybe an extra place or two in the Premier League. Yeah, I think it is refreshing because I think, you know, Southampton, I mean, even though the league form is is not great, you know, five defeats on the spin, um, I still don't expect them to get sucked into a relegation battle. I still don't think they'll be anywhere near challenging for the Europa League places. I think they'll just be taking the Premier League games as they come, getting what they can out of them. And I think having a focus on a cup run is not a bad thing for uh, a, a team like Southampton. It's not what Nyla wanted here, obviously, but um, you know, I just think that... <laughs> That's why I didn't ask him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, they got the easiest possible draw yeah. in the quarterfinal as well. They got <laughs> but I just think that, uh, you know, they'll fancy it. Like you said, they've got Bournemouth, who uh, Jonathan Woodgate's just gone in there, hasn't he? He's won a couple of games, hasn't he? And he put Burnley out a couple the other night. But um, I just think that Southampton will fancy that, and they'll think they'll fancy getting to the semi-finals. And on that big pitch at Wembley, anything can happen. And um, I think, why not? It'll be good for it'll be good for the area. It'll be good for the fans to get behind something. And, and who knows, you know, the magic of the cup and all that. You know, it could be that uh, a name like Southampton wins it this season. Sorry now. Oh, I hope not. I couldn't bear it. The other FA Cup game last night, the final of the weekend, was Barnley... Barn- Who? The final... Ba, 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 ba. Barney the dinosaur won. The final FA Cup game of the weekend was Barnsley nil, Chelsea won. I think a lot of Chelsea fans would have expected a bigger scoreline. I expected a bigger scoreline. Did you know? Um... Yeah, I guess so. But, I mean, I think that we discussed on yesterday's podcast, myself, Marley and Callum, that... Uh, Callum's housemate is actually a big Barnsley fan so he's watched a fair bit of Barnsley so a bit of a stroke of luck on Football Social Daily yesterday to have Callum on because he was telling us about how they play and they are progressive but I watched the game and I thought it was very attritional I thought there was a lot of headers and bouncing balls and scraps in the middle of the park and even though Chelsea had the majority of the possession I think they had as we predicted that they would have the majority of the possession I think that they didn't really convert that into chances and it's not the first time we've seen that from Chelsea under Thomas Tuchel and I just wonder how long it's going to take for that penny to drop and and for them to click because we've said this before on the show that you know it's all well and good having all the possession if you don't do anything with it then you know it's pointless it's a bit toothless so 
you know, I think that, yeah, Chelsea probably could have um, expected to have won that by a greater scoreline. But I thought Barnsley gave a really good account of themselves. And, you know, listen, they would have had some things to prove, Barnsley, knowing that they're coming up against the Premier League side. And, you know, I know the championship has got bags of quality in it as well. But still, coming up against top, top quality players, you want to prove yourself as a championship player. You know, you're always in the shop window in these FA Cup games. Um, because there, it was on terrestrial TV last night, it was on the BBC, so there would have been, you know, several million viewers, I imagine, watching that game um, unfold at Oakwell. And I just wonder whether that might have had something to do with it. You know, if it was Barnsley against Bournemouth, let's just say, I don't think that maybe it would have been as um, as uh, as scrapping, as intense a game, let's just say. I thought Chelsea probably deserved to win overall. Um, it's not one of those games where Barnsley have been hard done by. I think Chelsea, fair enough, they created the chance and Tammy Abraham tapped it in. But yeah, I mean, a bigger scoreline is understandable, but you've got to think, under Tuchel so far, their first game was 0-0 against Wolves. Then they beat Burnley 2-0, which has been their biggest victory margin so far, by the way. And then they uh, beat Sheffield United 2-1. They beat Tottenham 1-0. And now they've beat Barnsley 1-0. So they're only scoring ones and twos in games. They've not absolutely smashed teams at all. All of the games that they've had have been very, very close. And you just wonder whether it's going to take a glass ceiling moment, a floodgates moment for them to go and, you know, bash someone 4-5-0 for that to really kind of begin to, to show itself. But then again, I think back to the PSG side that he was the manager of, um, a very similar thing. Um, I remember a game in the Champions League earlier on this season, PSG against Manchester United, where PSG had all the possession and Neymar had the ball so many times in the Manchester United final third, kept winning fouls and they just couldn't do anything with it. And eventually Marcus Rashford went up the other end and smashed one in the corner and Manchester United won by a goal to nil or 2-1 I think the final score was, but it was a close game there anyway. And, you know, it was one of those things where PSG dominated it under Tuchel, but yet they couldn't get the job done. So, just wonder whether we see something similar with Chelsea and, and whether there will be a, a, a distinct change in fortunes for them in terms of finding the net if they do go and just find a couple of goals from somewhere. I think Barnsley might feel a little bit hard done by from last night because I think on a different night, they, they didn't control the game. They didn't have the better of it. They probably didn't deserve to win. But on another night, they had chances cleared off the line. They had opportunities. It could have gone the other way. From, from a Chelsea point of view, though, it's interesting what Thomas Tuchel said after the game. Because he accused his players of not showing enough courage, which suggests that he wants to see more attacking intent and a more offensive game from his players. But then you look at how he's setting up his team and quite often he's playing five at the back and he's playing two holding midfielders, even with the attacking talent that Chelsea have got. That is a very defensive display. So it's, it's interesting to know where that defensive intent is coming from Steve and for me it, it comes from the manager from the setup and the selection so that's then to accuse your players of not showing enough courage of not breaking forward enough it, 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 it's kind of like shifting the blame away from yourself it's an interesting approach from, from, approach from Tuchel is he Sam Allardyce in disguise um, <laughs> I just, you're just a German big Sam <laughs> I think you're right Jim I think you're Bob on mate I think that um, you know when you've played that block of five and you've got the two defensive midfielders it's no secret he's a big fan of N'Golo Kante because he's been waxing lyrical about him since he's took the job at Chelsea um, even though Kante has been indifferent at Chelsea for a while hasn't he and he's had injuries and stuff like that 
But I just think you can't set your team up with uh, essentially seven defensive players and um, and have a go at them for not going forward enough. I think it's it's just I think it's bonkers. I think that he has to find his feet in this this uh, league. It's a very different league to anything he's had before because let's be honest about it, the Premier League and um, I'd, I'd say a lot of Championship teams are, are you know better than the French league teams and the Bundesliga teams. You know, I just think that he's got to find his feet and he's got to kind of get his head around it because what will happen is he'll just kind of end up, teams will press them that high. They'll just end up wilting at, you know, late into games. And I think that, I know he's got to get results and he's got to get him climbing up the table and, and he's done that. But Chelsea will want a style of football. Chelsea will want to be attractive. They'll want to be scoring lots of goals. And they will want to be kind of having, you know, kind of celebrations on the pitch and stuff like that. And challenging for honours because the problem, I think the problem is, is that when teams set up as defensively as that, and as a Liverpool supporter, we've had our first share of teams doing that this season because it seems to be the trend when teams play us, apart from the likes of Man City. Um, it's very, very difficult if you go a goal behind because you've got to come out a bit then and that's when better teams will just pick you off. And I think that he's got a lot to think about. You know, I'd, I'd probably score him a solid 6 out of 10 for the, the start he's made at Chelsea um, because it's been unspectacular. It's not. It's lacked a bit of style. And um, I just think, you know, let's not go all Jose after like four, five, six games or whatever it is and say that my players lack courage and stuff like that. It's just... I mean, they were lucky last night. I mean, I've, 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 I need to have a look at it again, but I thought Tammy Abram was offside. Um, I, I mean, I'll have to have a look at it again, but, you know, when... I agree with you, actually, Steve. Yeah? I, I think he start he starts his run offside, and I don't think he ever quite get back on gets back onside, but there was no VAR last night. How, how can he be offside? Because it, when He's it, behind when the, the ball. Start, but when, it, no, when the ball's played in. If Tammy Abraham's behind the ball, you can't be offside. The, I don't it, think it, he is behind the ball. When the ball's played into him for the tapping, I think he's slightly ahead of it, and I think he starts oh, that move. Okay, okay. Fair yeah, enough. that's why I said. Um, okay. I, that, that's why I said I, I'll have to have a look at it again. All I've seen is the highlights on on the BBC, and um, I watched it. And obviously, you know, Barnsley, the keeper. Um, sorry, Kepper made a great save from the lad Britain. You know, who plays for Barnsley last night. But I just think there's a lot of work to do at Chelsea. I think the squad is still a bit imbalanced. Um, I think you know, there's there's players that have got a make roles in that team their own um, and, and you've got to take command of it because I just don't see enough from Chelsea at the minute. Um, I don't see people w you know, willing to run through walls for the shirt and stuff like that. But that isn't a new thing. It's something that I think has been an issue at Chelsea for a long time. But... I mean, the other side of it, you know, Barnsley away is a tricky FA Cup tie because it's got giant killing written all over it. The pitch wasn't great last night, was it? Um, you know, to be honest. And um, I think they've just got through there. And the, the main thing is just that in the next round. Let's finish this off with chat on another English striker. We were talking about them earlier, Niall. But let's have your thoughts on Tammy Abraham because there were a few fringe players that featured for Chelsea and a few that might think they did their chances of a first-team start no harm at all. Kepper might be one of them. I'd forgotten he was even a Chelsea player. I thought he'd left in the summer, but he's still there and put in a decent display last night. But Abraham, he's too good to be on the bench at Chelsea and he's not been getting a look in recently. Does he deserve more of a start given his display last night, which obviously featured the goal, should have had a penalty early doors and he cleared a ball off the line as well? Yeah, I mean, if you think back to last season, 34 appearances in the Premier League and 15 goals, he's made 18 appearances this season and scored six. So I think that's one in four in the Premier League. So it's not the best record in the world, but as you say, he's not been afforded 
that many chances of those 18 appearances eight of them came off the substitutes bench so he's only started 10 games this season which compared to life under Frank Lampard last campaign is uh, is a far cry from what he would have been expecting but listen when a new manager comes in you've got to prove yourself all over again it doesn't really matter how good you are I think Chelsea do have a problem up front to be honest um, Giroud's been uh, getting it in the neck from his national team manager Didier Deschamps um, let's not forget Giroud is one of the record appearance makers for France and I think he's closing in on a hell of a lot of goals for his country so He's going to want to go to the Euros. I mean, I keep bringing this up, but certainly Didier Deschamps, the France manager, has been saying to him, you need to get out of Chelsea and play more games, Olivier, if you, if you want to get in my squad. And, you know, he's ended up staying at Chelsea for the time being. Obviously, he would have maybe have thought about leaving during the January window and maybe even the summer. But um, I don't think that, that we have enough potency in terms of Chelsea, if you're talking about them up front. Um, Tammy Abraham's a, a good striker. I like Tammy. Um, Giroud's there Werner's not really firing I just wonder um, if one of those can really start to hit a purple patch and hit a patch of form because as, as as good as those three are they're not I don't think I don't think any of them are as, as good as Cavani at Manchester United let's just say right now I don't think any of them are as good as Harry Kane or Vardy or even Calvert-Lewin right now so I mean that's an issue for Chelsea I think um, there's no reason Tammy Abraham can't be that good but as you say Jim he's not been really getting that many chances but he's done all he can do he scored a, a goal last night well, I mean what more can you ask for from your number nine and he also made a really good goal line clearance towards the end um, he actually revealed in his post-match interview that he was a defender when he was growing up which I didn't know he uh, backtracked and headed the ball off the line underneath the crossbar so actually saved Chelsea from going to extra time there so um, I thought he played very well last night I mean, yeah, I guess the Euros are going to be in his mind. But like I said, when I was talking about it earlier, when we were discussing Danny Ings, unfortunately for Tammy Abraham, he didn't even flash into my mind. Um, mm. But, you know, it, it depends. Gareth. in the mix. Well, I don't know, because Gareth Southgate obviously used to manage the England under-21s and he would have worked with Tammy a fair bit during that period. And uh, I guess, you know, if he knows how he's going to use Abraham, then, uh, then fair play. But, yeah, I mean, it's a shame to say because I think he's a, a really good player, but... You know, is he too good to be a bench player? A club like Chelsea? I'm not sure. Uh, I still think one of those Chelsea strikers really needs to start, you know, grabbing that position and making it their own because, you know, Thomas Tuchel is almost crying out for someone to do that for him. Um, much like uh, Mbappe, Neymar uh, and Cavani did so for him when he was PSG manager. Chelsea through to the quarterfinals. They'll play Sheffield United at home. Everton, Manchester City, Bournemouth, Southampton, Leicester City versus Manchester United are the other ties that make up the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. We're going to be back shortly. We're going to talk about Jose Mourinho and Paul Pogba's futures at their respective clubs. That's next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open Sport Social. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Fantasy football chat on the way with Matt Dyson from Game Week. We'll be getting some advice ahead of the transfer deadline in Fantasy Premier League. But first, the futures of Jose Mourinho and Paul Pogba have come into question again because of some stories that are doing their rounds in the papers. Two figures that are no strangers to the back pages of the newspapers and headlines there. Let's kick off with the Mirror, who are reporting that Jose Mourinho's position as Tottenham manager is safe. 
despite a poor run of results and rumoured doubts from senior players. I mean, it's hardly a big breakthrough that a, or a big headline that a manager's position is safer to club. But there has been a load of speculation around Jose Mourinho and his future at Tottenham. And quite often when you see this kind of headline, it's like the dreaded vote of confidence. It means that the manager's actually is under pressure. Do you think Mourinho is under that level of pressure at Tottenham, Niall? Do you think that Daniel Levy will be questioning his decision to get rid of Pochettino and bring in the special one? I don't think Levy regrets his decision to get rid of Pochettino. Um, But I also do think he will be thinking about the future under Jose Mourinho. I really do. Uh, And I know this has been an extraordinary season in terms of the fact it's been played behind closed doors, revenues are down, results are strange. Um, But let's not forget, Mourinho's remit was to come in and win Tottenham a trophy. So to lose to Everton in the manner they lost to Everton 5-4 would be a blow to them. But they are in the Carabao Cup final. They're still in the Europa League. I think I think I think winning just the Carabao Cup will be enough to keep Jose in his job. I think moving forward from that, if they don't win, you'll need to win two next season, and it will just keep amplifying from there. I, I do think that Levy will be thinking about the future under Mourinho, and I do think he would have known when he brought in Jose Mourinho what Mourinho brings. Levy's a smart man. He's quite ruthless, but he's a smart man. He understands the landscape. He felt that the time with Tottenham under Pochettino had run its course. And that's up to him to make that decision. Uh, It was a brave decision, but, you know, listen, they got to the Champions League final. They fell at the final hurdle against Liverpool and they never got to any other finals. You know, Tottenham's under Jose Mourinho. He's been there for one season. He's got there to a Carabao Cup final already. You know, and that's that's what Jose's gone in there to do. And I think Mourinho knows that. I don't think Mourinho's in there to build a dynasty and a legacy at Tottenham. I, I, I don't think even Mourinho's that naive to think that he can go there and be their greatest ever manager. He has got a track record of winning silverware. And whether he does it ugly, whether he does it beautifully... I don't think Tottenham care. I don't think it's Levy not cares. Do it beautifully, is it? Well, that's the point. <laughs> it's, not, it's, it's only going to be option one. It doesn't matter, though. It doesn't matter. I mean, I watched Portsmouth beat Cardiff City in 2008 at Wembley in the FA Cup final. It was 1-0. Carnu scored. The worst celebration of a goal I've ever seen. I was at the other end of Wembley up in the gods. Didn't know whether he was scored because he had done a stupid celebration. It was the worst game of football I've ever seen, but it was the best day of my life following my football club. Because that euphoria of watching all of your heroes walk the steps of Wembley put one hand on each side of the FA Cup and lift it. And, you know, the stadium announcer says, here are your FA Cup champions, Portsmouth. And just hearing that and then the confetti and the music and everyone around you jubilant, joyous, celebrating, that is one of the best memories following a football club uh, and just in football in my entire life. I don't really remember the game because it was a shocking game of football. But that moment afterwards when the players walked up the steps... And that moment of walking down Wembley Way before the game thinking we have a chance to make history and win silverware and enjoy some of the best moments we've ever seen following this football club. That is what sticks in the brain and that is what lives forever. No one will ever remember the fact that, oh, we were crap that game. I mean, no one in Portsmouth says, oh, we were terrible in that game. We just say, remember when we won the FA Cup and we think of on it with fond memories. So that's what Mourinho has been brought in to do, to win Tottenham Hotspur silverware. It's the monkey that's been on their back for ages now I mean 2008 incidentally was the last time Tottenham won a major trophy that's not good enough for a club of Tottenham stature it really isn't especially now what they've developed themselves into you know you think about it a billion pound stadium the most amazing sports stadium on planet earth they've now built themselves into a traditional Champions League club they've broken that 
old school top four and they've become what's now part of a top six, a big six or whatever it's called. It used to just be the big four, now it's the big six. And Tottenham have eked their way into that conversation and they deserve respect for that. However, I think Mourinho knows he is in there to win silverware. And I think that he will hold that over the club forever. If they sack him um, and they all start going, yeah, but your football was boring, Jose will always be able to say, yeah, but I won you a trophy, your first trophy for 14 years. So, you know, I, I think that I think that's kind of part of the the I don't know what's the juxtaposition, I guess, of Mourinho going in there and the football they want to play. They don't fit. And I think everyone said when Mourinho went in that it was a surprise that he's gone in there. But I think that no one's kidding themselves. Everyone knows what Mourinho's in there to do. Everyone knows what Levy wants. Everyone knows what the fans want. It fits for now. I don't see it fitting long term. But then again, who knows with Jose Mourinho? You just never know with that guy. Yeah, he's got to win the trophy first as well, hasn't he? If he does get sacked, Steve, where does he go? Is that it? If he gets sacked from Spurs, who goes and gets Jose Mourinho next? AFC Wimbledon. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm just... <laughs> that's, the, that's the big question, isn't it, Jim? I, I don't know where he goes because I think if he does fail at Tottenham, I mean... I've got to be honest, I don't fancy him in the Carabao Cup final. Um, I think the, the juggernaut, the, they won't be able to stop the juggernaut. Um, and that it's just going to clean everything up this season. And I just think that, um, yeah, it, it it's if he doesn't win this Cup final and the Premier League form continues to be as indifferent as it is, I think he might be in real trouble. I think... Um, you know, at the moment, obviously the vibe's good because the, they've got that Carabao Cup final to look forward to. I think it's in April, isn't it, the Carabao Cup final? I think they moved it back, didn't they? Yeah, they did, yeah. Yeah, so I just think that he's, he's got that, oh, we've got a Cup final coming up, you know, to, to in the bank, really. But I just think if, if they get turned over in that final by City, I think that, um, and the league form, if they're like 7th or 8th in the league, I think that's it for him. Um, because I think that um, after going out in the manner that they did to Everton the other night, um, I just think that the experiment will will not have worked. I think Jose will be on big money. Um, the same things are happening all the time. Uh, you know, he's falling out with players and he's saying kind of things in the media about certain players and stuff like that. All the stuff is still there. He's just got this cup final in the bank and I think that he, he's going to be under massive pressure to win that because if they don't win that, I think there's going to be a bit of fallout. Right, let's do it for the clicks. Let's talk about Paul Pogba then, because Italian press have been talking about Paul Pogba, <laughs> so we should too. Really? What a surprise. Calcion Mercato. I've <laughs> <laughs> been uh, printing stories. Paul Pogba, all kicked off by Mino Riola, saying that he has to work quietly when it comes to the future of the United player. It's being linked back to a move with Juventus, apparently. So Pogba goes to Juventus. Coming the other way, from Juventus to Manchester United, would be Douglas Costa, Aaron Ramsey, Adrian Rabot and Panic as well. So four players coming in for Paul Pogba to go the other way. I mean, I'm getting really frustrated with the amount of Paul Pogba rumours flying around at the moment. So the Manchester United powers that be, the hierarchy, must be done with him by now, Niall, surely. Just for, it doesn't matter what the player's offering on the pitch, really. When you have this kind of speculation and turmoil around a player, at some point, you just go, get rid. It's baggage, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's baggage. And I think that you get that with Paul Pogba. And I think the interesting thing is, is he's injured right now and he'll be out for a couple of weeks. And all of a sudden, these rumours are starting to bubble up. There weren't any rumours for the last month when he smashed in a winner against Burnley before Christmas, when he smashed in a winner against West Ham 
You know, there weren't any rumours then because he was playing games regularly for Manchester United. He was the star of the show. He was performing. And all of a sudden, he was happy at the club. Now he's injured, hasn't played for the last couple of games. The rumours have started to boil up again. And I actually feel sorry for Paul Pogba because I think that he is a good player and he is frustrating because I think Manchester United fans rightly probably should have expected a little bit more from him and he hasn't quite delivered that. I think that's fair criticism of Paul Pogba, but I do feel slightly sorry for him because it's always Paul Pogba's fault. Um, And actually, it's nothing to do with Paul Pogba. People saying that, you know, Paul Pogba can control what his agent says and stuff like that. I'm sure that they have dialogue and conversation about it, but... How is Paul Pogba meant to stop Calcio Mercato writing an, an article, a report on saying that Manchester United are interested in doing a swap deal? I mean, we know what the Italian press are like anyway. Most of the rumours that you get in a transfer window um, involve the Italian press. They love it. They absolutely love it. So, you know, I, I do think this is another one where... Uh, uh, would I be surprised if it happens? No. Would I be surprised if it happens? Yes. Just because it's one of those things where, like you say, I think we're all a bit exasperated with the Paul Pogba situation. We're not even Manchester United fans, let alone, like you say, Jim, the powers that be. So I think soon we will see Paul Pogba leave Manchester United. I think there's a there's a case for it to be this summer. Um, it's interesting to see how big an impact he will play if Manchester United do end up scooping silverware this season. I think that needs to be the remit for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I think top four and win a trophy. I think that has to be um, their minimum aspirations. I'm really surprised at the way Manchester United fans have kind of palmed off the title race as if they weren't even in it. It's almost like they've forgotten how big a club they are and what a great giant of English football they are. I thought they'd um, won it a few weeks ago, hadn't they? <laughs> I, that was... I think they were just enjoying their time at the top. I mean, first time top of the table for seven years, you can understand why they're all on social media saying, oh, we're going to go on and win our 21st title. I, I absolutely understand that because, you know, there's plenty of bad times in football so you've got to enjoy the good times and milk them when possible but I just thought it was really surprising the mentality of that football club it's almost like they've forgotten how to be successful which is which is dangerous it's 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 scary you know Manchester United are a huge football club and I think being in the title race they should have really been like okay yeah let's do it and I think that those couple of results um, that went against them the Sheffield United game and then a couple of draws and they think they drew last minute didn't they with Everton so those results, I think, then turn the fans into saying, oh, well, we never really thought we were going to do it anyway. And it's like, I guess that just kind of might letting themselves down gently. But Manchester United, I mean, they've shown that they can get closer. And I think that they will do. Whether that involves Paul Pogba or doesn't involve Paul Pogba, they do have decent options in that midfield region. I mean, you look at Bruno Fernandes, who's come in, albeit with less expectation than Paul Pogba when he arrived because Pogba had a bigger price tag, already had previous history with the club, had just won the Euros with France and was a big part of a successful Juventus side. So, you know, but Fernandes has come in and shown exactly what you need to do to be a Manchester United player. The mentality, picking everyone up around him, dragging his side through games. He's an absolute beast, Bruno Fernandes. I I think he's an unbelievable football player. Um, And they do have options in that midfield region. So they've got Van der Beek, who they've signed now from Ajax, albeit hasn't got some game time. Um, McTominay, again, scored the winner in the FA Cup, is having a really good season, is looking better and better with every game he plays in that midfield role. Fred's improved massively. Matic is a good backup option. So they do have options there um, in that defensive midfield role. Obviously, Pogba can play slightly further forward, but... Whether he remains at the club in the summer or not, if he does leave and Manchester United have won something, it's thanks for your time, Paul. If they, you know, part company and Manchester United haven't won something, it's sorry it didn't work out, Paul. I think it's fair enough to say that there are a few Manchester United fans out there who are now just thinking, oh, well, the Pogba thing was a gamble that didn't work out. Wish him all the best and move on. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw that in the summer, to be honest. I'm not entirely sure why Riola's even 
working quietly with Paul Pogba. Surely he's a Manchester United player. So you don't talk about your player and a potential move away anyway. I think Riola's the frustrating character. What can Pogba do apart from play well? That's it. I I think you're right. It's not Paul Pogba's fault. It's Riola's fault. And he shouldn't be opening his mouth and talking to radio stations or newspapers about a player who is a Manchester United player. All he's doing is encouraging speculation. And I think that's what I find really frustrating. It's interesting that Paul Pogba doesn't want to move away from Riola as a as an agent, but maybe he feels he's still capable of getting him the best deal. Looking at the deal, Steve, from the outside in and purely the deal, talking about Paul Pogba in exchange for these four supposed players that Juventus want rid of, that just doesn't make sense, does it? Because Manchester United have such a bloated squad at the moment. They want to offload players, not bring in four more potentially fringe players to add to their already massive squad. Um, so just talk to me about the uh, the names. It was Douglas Costa, wasn't it? It was Adam Ramsey. It was Adrian Rabio, and it was uh, Miralem Panic. Yes. Uh, okay. Well, first thing is Panic went to Barcelona last summer, um, so he's not even at Juventus. Um, <laughs> and I think that um, you know, um, I think that um, the Adam Ramsey and Adrian Rabio. Um, don't get in the Man United team anyway. I just don't. I don't think they make it into that first eleven at Man United. Douglas Costa is is the best out of, out of that lot, I think. But um, I just don't see it. I think it's just I, what I'm finding, and I don't know about you guys, is that um, I find the media at the minute are just going absolutely crazy with the nonsense that they're spouting, and they are putting out stories that are just going to get clicks. They're putting. Um, stories out that just simply, if, if you're connected to a club and, you, and you've got a bit of insight into what's going on, you see it and you just think, that's not true. Um, you know, it's just, we're just in this weird age. I mean, I, um, I'm um honestly, I'm very, very close to just dumping Twitter. Um, I don't like Twitter as a platform anyway, because I think it's a really toxic place. But some of the stuff I see on there from journalists and media about, um, uh, you know, transfers, about dealings that are going on at clubs, about managers that are under pressure or aren't under pressure. I'm just thinking, I mean, where's all the integrity gone here? Um, and I just think that coming up with, you know, Juventus swapping four players for, for Paul Pogba at Man United, great deal for Juventus because One of they which get. Isn't the Juventus player? Yeah. So, um, great deal for United, great deal for Juventus because it gets rid of a load of Deadwood out of their squad, uh, even one of them who doesn't even play for them anymore. And um, I just think that Paul, you know, like I say, Paul, Juventus win that deal. All, all day. There's no win-win in that for Man United, which makes it all the more preposterous that someone has actually put it out there as a rumour. And I just think that, um, you know, Man United, you know, let's give them a bit of credit for this season. They're coming back. I don't know whether they've got it in them to hit the heights that Man City and Liverpool have, have hit in recent years. Um, I, I'm not entirely convinced, but I think they, they are going to be a solid, you know, third place Top top three team for the for the seasons to come, and it's interesting. We talk about when they got to the top of the league, and you know they didn't really know how to handle it. And the, um, I think a, a more experienced coach makes them handle it better. I think if they had a proper winner as a coach, someone who has has done it and has been successful elsewhere, someone who has the mentality to say, right lads, we're at the top of the league now. 
we're not going to give this up. We're going to keep going. We're going to win our next game. And then we'll start thinking about the next game. All that good stuff. I think that's the missing element at Man United. He has done a good job this season. There's no doubt about it. Um, and I'm not kind of like, you know, piling in on him. But I'm just kind of saying, where Man United are concerned, a more experienced coach who has been a winner manages that situation better. I think we're more likely to see Sancho go into Old Trafford in the summer than mm. we are any of those deals taking place that you've just mentioned. Although the interest in him seems to have cooled a little bit because he's not had the same season he had at Dortmund this year that he had last year. He hasn't quite... I mean, he's still been very good, but he's not quite impressed on the same level. Very well said, Steve, by the way, on the clickbait thing. And if you want to find your football news minus the clickbait, head to sport-social.co.uk because we don't do any of that rubbish here. Uh, Right, we're going to talk fantasy football next. If you're struggling in your respective fantasy football league at the moment and you've kind of given up, don't give up. There's still almost a third of the season left. You can catch up your fellow fantasy football players keep on at it and Matt Dyson will be here next on Football Social Daily with your fantasy football advice Football Social Daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk To hear the latest Premier League news for your team just ask Open Sport Social Welcome back to Football Social Daily and delighted to welcome back ahead of the weekend. We haven't spoken to him for a while. Matt Dyson from Game Week Podcast. How are you doing, Matt? I'm good, thank you, Jim. Yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? I, I, there was just so, there've been so many fixtures uh, in the Fantasy Premier League uh, for over the past month or so that there's never been a point where I've been able to speak <laughs> to you where a game week isn't active. So I know. It's like, finally, we have a little rest and we can look ahead to the weekend's action while there's no other Premier League action taking place. The big news is, of course, and this hadn't happened when we spoke to you last time, you are now officially Heat Magazine's <laughs> secret crush, number yes, two. I, I was, that was se- yeah, second, second behind Perry from Diversity. Uh, yeah, what an honour. I mean, the main thing was when I, when I was nominated for the secret crush due to my un- conventional good looks the main <laughs> thing was to to beat Piers Morgan who's won it the last two years oh wow he was fifth suddenly I'm not I as impressed second. I'm not as impressed anymore suddenly <laughs> I was really impressed that you mentioned Piers Morgan oh, won it previously oh, well, <laughs> well I mean yeah you know he's got quite I suppose he's not really uh, what you'd think of as being good looking but I suppose he's quite popular uh, yes. if, if nothing else or or uh, infamous perhaps very true well, let's, let's see if you can back up your unconventional good looks with some conventional fantasy football advice we've got some questions from the football social daily audience as always hopefully you can get them out of their fancy mm-hmm. football shaped pickles right so Sinclair's <laughs> going to kick off he says to Harry Kane or not to Harry Kane that is the question Ooh. I dropped him when he picked up his injury a few weeks back and would need some major squad surgery if I'm going to fit him back into my team mm, but is he wow. worth the pain well, I mean, you have to sort of say Harry is worth the pain. What he's eleven million now. Mm. He, he he hurt his, both of his ankles, so he's been out for a little bit, but not long. And he seems to be back to his best. He scored in the cup the night, didn't he? And he's like the third top point scorer this season. Mm. But I mean, the, if you, Bruno Fernandez is top, then Mohamed Salah and Son have got the same, one hundred and fifty-five points. Harry Kane's got one hundred and fifty-one. So you know he is. You're guaranteed points with Harry Kane. That's the thing. I mean, maybe not in his next game against Man City away. I mean, I'm not really fancying Jose Spurs, who have looked a bit. 
dodgy of late, mainly because Harry's not been there. But now he's back. I mean, I'm maybe looking ahead for a few more weeks before I bring Harry Kane back, but I certainly will be bringing him back at some point. I think that's the problem, isn't it? No one expected him to come back so quickly. I think people thought when when he hurt both his ankles, it was a month, two months out, but it turned out to be two Ooh. or three games, I think, and now he's back. Yeah. So people will have reshaped their squad slightly. That's true, yeah. In a way, it makes it easier, doesn't it? Because you haven't got to worry about the finding the money for a big striker like Harry Kane. You go, OK, well, I'll just I'll just use the cheaper ones. And so, to be fair, this season, uh, some of the cheaper strikers are actually performing pretty well, like mm. Bamford and Calvert-Lewin, who's also just got picked up an injury, and Callum Wilson, who's also just picked up an injury. <laughs> so, so actually, what this is telling us is the time of the cheaper sort of low price striker doing well could be over because they're all dropping like flies let's get back on with the big money strikers and start with Harry Kane there you go Harry Kane back in your team Sinclair next question comes from Paul who says well you mentioned him a second ago who should I replace Dominic Calvert-Lewin with after his injury if indeed I should replace him I don't know how long he's out for he's well well, Paul's suggesting Richarlison might be a good shout because uh, he's going to play through the middle, and so Everton might play him as a as a forward option. So, what are your thoughts not, there, Matt? It's not a bad idea, but I think Richarlison hasn't had a he hasn't hit the heights that we've seen him hit in the past on fantasy football. I mean, he's had a a very low scoring season so far, partly because he's been in the shadow of uh, Dominic Calvert Lewin. But what he's got, he's scored. I think he's only scored about two goals. Uh, is, he season, a, is, is he in as a striker or a midfielder? Yeah, he is. He he used to be as classed as a midfielder. Field and now he's in as a striker okay. and he's 7.8 million. So pretty much around the same sort of uh, fee for the striker as Calvert Lewin. But Calvert Lewin, I mean, it's his hamstrings. Uh, he's rated a 75% chance of playing at the moment. He's definitely going to miss a couple of games. You know, I'm not sure how many, but it seems to be an ongoing issue with his hamstring. So he's re-aggravated that hamstring problem, which is why I was at before. So maybe, uh, you know, this could be a longer layout, layoff for him. It's not really clear, but. I mean, I was quite annoyed because going into this double uh, double game week, which is, of course, coming up, mm. uh, there are quite a f- still many double game weeks to come, but this is a good one. With it. I thought a couple of good games for Everton. They've got Fulham. Well, they've got Fulham at home, and then they're playing Man City at home. So two home games for Everton. You'd have fancied Calvert-Lewin to have scored in that, and I was going to put him in for the double, so I was quite annoyed by this by this injury. Uh, but Richarlison could be a good shot. I mean, he's got to start hitting form at some point, and uh, maybe without... Calvert-Lewin in the picture this could be his time any other options at that kind of price point because as you said there's not a massive amount of value at the moment in terms of strikers it's quite difficult to find there's a couple of people like see I've always avoided putting Jamie Vardy in and I know because I've been convinced for the last five years that Jamie Vardy is a one season wonder and he's just going to fall off a cliff at some point yeah, so I'm still expecting that to happen so let's rule yeah. him out but anyone else well yeah no I did the same thing when, you know when, when Leicester won the title and he just went on that run of goal scoring every week I was like oh no this is going to end this week it'll end this week I'm not, I'm not going to be there I'm not going to sign him and then the run ends and I missed out on so many points because of my stubbornness but I mean one person who I've had for a long time Time now he's doing really well for uh, you know a Villa team who are in form at the moment they've got lots of options but Ollie Watkins up front always mm. has a lot of decent chances in games and uh, he's he's really scoring pretty well 100 points so far this season I I would certainly recommend him at the station Bamford as well I mean uh, I thought Bamford's goal scoring run had come to an end. He had a little bit of a dry patch, but he's coming out the other side of that now. Mm. I'm still not really feeling Werner at Chelsea, although maybe Tuchel will like to play in more of, in more of a central role. And I got Ings, but Ings has um, been very unlucky the past couple of games, Danny Ings. I mean, he could have had a break 
pace in his last two games, but he just keeps being very unlucky with handballs and offsides and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, and Jesus is an option really as a as a, an expensive striker, but he's constantly being rotated. So you've you've got to put up with the whims of Pep, unfortunately. Well, let's mention the whims of Pep because Trisha's question relates directly to that. She wants to talk about double game week. You mentioned it before. Mm. There are a few teams that have got two games this week. Manchester City, Everton, Fulham, Burnley all have two matches coming up in the next game week. She wants to know, do I play my free hit and load up on those players in those two games or are there going to be better chances to come to play that mm. free hit? So the free hit chip, if you don't know it, allows you to basically change your entire squad for one week with no cost of transfers. So potentially yeah. with those four teams playing double games, you could put three players in from each team and double up on your points. Yeah, I mean, uh, you could certainly do it. It would give you a little bit of a boost if you were to play your free hit now. But there's only, four, like you say, four teams in, have, who've got doubles this week. And I think later on down the line of the season, there will be uh, more teams with doubles playing at once. Because, look, you could, even if you play your free hit, you can still only have three Man City players. Mm. So, like, unless you sort of load it up on their confident strikers and midfielders, maybe Foden, Gundogan and... Um, uh, you, you could also you could put many and um, that said Foden who's the other one I'm thinking of <laughs> Silver <laughs> Bernardo Silver maybe no. Uh, yeah no not but I was thinking of Sterling that's this, what this is the problem there's Sterling. so many City players <laughs> and, and, you, and you don't know just because they've got two games you don't necessarily know they're going to play yeah. two games well that's that's why yeah so maybe playing a chip when it comes to Man City uh, could be a bit of a gamble I would suggest because yeah they're probably not all going to play all those form players aren't going to play a full 90 minutes in both of those games. You'd imagine sometimes. Jesus is probably going to come in at some point. Aguero is apparently back, uh, so he might be coming in at some point. So there's going to be a lot of rotation. Uh, and like I said about Everton, you know, they've got Man City at home is a tough game for them. Uh, Fulham aren't as loose at the back as they were at the start of the season. They're a bit more of a tight defensive unit now. So I don't think it's going to be free scoring for Everton in that game. I would, I'm would maybe thinking about getting a Burnley defender because they're two games away at Palace mm. and at home to Fulham. They look like they could probably get some clean sheets defence-wise. So I think maybe get a, a Burnley defender in for that. Um but I wouldn't go making massive changes for this double because the games aren't quite as enticing for those various different reasons. So maybe be clever with your free transfer, pick your captain carefully to take advantage, but don't go all in at this stage because there will be a better opportunity down the line. Yes, yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's exactly there what I'm go. trying to say in oh, a more succinct manner. <laughs> if you were that succinct, your podcast wouldn't be as long and it wouldn't be as fun. <laughs> so so, so yeah, keep, be, do, keep doing you, Matt. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on Football Social Daily. Really appreciate it. As always, where can people find Game Week if they want to go a bit more in-depth with the fantasy football chat? Uh, well, yes, we are on every week. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, Acast, Apple, iTunes, podcasts, whatever you, whatever, <laughs> wherever you get them. And on Twitter, uh, we are at GameWeekHQ as well. So uh, get involved there if you fancy it. Nice one, Matt. Cheers, Jim. And that is it for Football Social <laughs> Daily for another episode. Make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss one. There is a brand new show tomorrow morning. We'll be previewing all the Premier League games. So click subscribe. You'll get that as soon as it's ready. And we'll see you next time on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. 
You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.